the Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. We have a wonderful guest today, Peter Block, who is an author of many, many books and a consultant, a thought leader in the areas of empowerment, stewardship, accountability, community. And we're going to get into all those areas today. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, glad you're here. here. So where are you this morning? I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I live, and and, uh, it's a beautiful day. Mm. It's a great time of year. Oh, it is, isn't it? It falls in the air, right? I know. Yeah, so we we are. The timing of this show is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. For for those of you who may be listening after the fact, we're doing the show live this morning. But um, after the fact, this is uh, October tenth, two thousand and eight, and our world is in a bit of disruption, shall we say. A lot of chaos, a lot of feeling of chaos, um, some of the economic issues, some of the political issues. And, Peter, I want to get your take on some of that as we move into your work. Um, your most recent book, Community, The Structure of Belonging, has been so well received. And it seems like the idea of community is beginning to resonate with people. What, what do you think is happening around the issue? Well, I think the resonance is in response to what's uh, absent, mm. and I think that uh, the, the some of the models that we're living into, which are deep individualism, kind of a economic materialistic dominance, identity from consumerism. I think we've reached the limits of what they can give us, and so I think those, the understanding community not only means a place that I belong, but a place there where I can get help, resources, support that I don't have to pay for. Hmm. And that, and the, the pay system, the economic system, is is very fragile right now. Yeah, that's an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and it, I mean it's just going down. It's not even chaotic. Well, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's very just... predictable. It's going down. Right. We're in a recession. Things right. aren't going well. People right. are not going to have as much money as they had, and people's debt, they're going to have to get rid of it. I mean, it's, chaos is when you don't know what's going to happen. I think it's this is a this is a coming to account that uh, you know actually it's just frightening. That's all. It is, and I, I... especially if you're spoiled. The, we are spoiled. We have had a pretty nice long ride, um, in, especially in the U.S., I think, and in, in European countries also, but especially in the U.S. Um, now, the fear that you just spoke about is palpable. You know, yeah. It is everywhere. People are, they energetically feel it. They're talking about it everywhere I go. Walking down the street in San Francisco, I overhear conversation after conversation. Wow. It is amazing. It is when amazing. When Californians get afraid, 
something's going on. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Californians right. tend to have a positive outlook on possibility, right? Yep, enjoy. Hmm. I think, that, you know, uh, we've been marketing fear for a long time. You know, I live in a city. I live in an urban center. And uh, if you look at the newspaper, if you look at the story being told of who we are by the TV or the radio or the commercial world, it's very much the marketing of fear. It's a curriculum of fear. That be right. careful. Watch out. There's a nation. We have to watch out. We have to be safe. We wait in line at airports. You know, we've been uh, every time you go somewhere. It's and so I just think the fear is. We're sitting on a foundation of fear, and then when, when our financial world is unstable, which is the world that we take our identity from, hmm. then I think the fear just we can't deny it any longer or pretend other people are afraid and I'm not. It's interesting to me that we're so interested in the economic dimension of our lives, and and uh, much of the rest of our lives are really going quite the way they were. You know, all this means is that we we're forced to realize that we're not as safe as we thought we were. And for some people, they are having to to be accountable for the life that they've chosen to live, and it's enormously painful. Hmm. Let's talk about that issue of accountability. Um, I've seen the phrase in your work, "chosen accountability." Right. What is that? Well, to be accountable means I'm an owner. I'm a creator of my own experience in the world around me. It, it means that I'm not, uh, I can't blame other people for what's not working. Uh, now, most systems, most organizations, most businesses want people to be accountable. It's just they have a funny way of getting it. And the way they think they can get it is through coercion. They think they can hold people accountable as if it's some huge bear hug around employees is going to create accountability. And uh, actually, it, it creates compliance, not a sense of ownership. So for accountability to be powerful and uh, authentic, it has to be chosen. So the task of leadership and management is to say, how do I create conditions or a context where people will want to be accountable, will choose to be accountable? How do I create a public sector or a nation where people are accountable, why aren't people say, wait a second, I, I can't pay my mortgage. That was a mistake I made rather than looking for someone else mm -hmm. to bail them out because they made a bad purchase decision. Right. Well, it seems like that whole element of our society has, has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember um, many years ago thinking that, in our political system, things were changing so much. It looked to me like leaders were not taking responsibility. They were saying, well, let's just put it on the ballot and see what the voters want, and then I'll follow that. And is that is that leadership? Well, it's certainly a funny kind of democracy. You know, I, I think, I think uh, people kind of feel that there's a vacuum of leadership, but I think that what they feel is that there's a moral center. There's an absence of a moral center in the people that hold power. Hmm. There's a strong economic center. There's a strong intelligence, perhaps. But the idea that a business 
or an institution has a purpose larger than making money has kind of been absent for the last 15 years. Hmm. And starting in the 90s, you know, the employees have become marginalized. Customers have become marginalized in a way because uh, there's so few choices for customers hmm. that, uh, you know, it's been a, I think there's been a change in, in leadership being driven by the economics of the world. And I think that's that's missing. You know, the, the direct democracy, let voters vote, is, it's, it's such a small thing in our lives. Hmm. And it's, uh, it, it is an absence of leadership in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, part of the reason, this is where I think um, we as voters don't, aren't accountable enough to the system. So if we have the opportunity to vote, we also have responsibility to learn about what we're voting on. And I don't see a whole lot of that. I see a whole lot of sound bites. I see a whole lot of people repeating those sound bites. I know. And not a lot it's of upsetting, understanding. Isn't it? What happened to thought? What happened to I'm, thought? I'm working yeah. on another book, and one of the chapters is the end of thought. Oh. And the idea, I mean, and we're treated as morons. You know, if you, if you look at this campaign, it's painful. I can hardly watch anybody, yeah. regardless of who I'm in favor of. Yeah. Because it's only it's all on message. Note cards, sound bites. There's not a real conversation taking place, and they're products that somebody's figuring out how to sell them as a product to me. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's uh, it's not a process you can have much good feeling about, mm-hmm. even though it matters, you know. Well, you in your book you talk about context of community, setting context of community. And we've touched a little bit on um, the context that we are living in, which is problem-solving. You know, everybody needs to figure it out. Um, the fear that right. has been marketed and we are living in and supporting, by the way. Right. And the concept of retribution, I mean, you know, now there's this whole... Um, issue of we've got to get the people, and typically it's get the guys, who did this to us. And um, so now they're looking at Wall Street CEOs and politicians who, quote-unquote, are bringing us down, have brought us down. Um, So if that's where we are and our economic system isn't going to turn on a dime, and so this, this is not going to go away in a week, Two weeks, three months, it is not going to go away. How do we now live in this? I mean, what do we do? Well, the context matters. So uh, our choice is to live in, inside of a different context. And what, anything we stop getting interested in will disappear. Say so that again. We, Say that again. Anything I stop getting interested in mm-hmm. will kind of fade you know, it, it will lose its energy and strength. So I'm going to stop getting interested in leadership. I'm going to stop getting interested in the stock market as a measure of my well-being. I'm going to stop getting interested in crime and lack of safety and who got kidnapped from what island last week. I'm going to stop getting interested in celebrity. All of those contexts are ones that make me a marginal, and rather helpless. And so why don't we decide that we're going to get interested in what's restorative to our communities, Hmm. have conversations about possibilities 
why not when we go out tonight, we're going to talk about what gifts we're surrounded by. Not that there isn't deficiencies, but talking about them just makes deficiencies stronger. Hmm. And, and why don't we talk about the earth or the sky or the neighborhood rather than as if the stock market and Wall Street is defining who I am right now. Hmm. So that's, that's what context does for you. And that's what the book is about, is to say, well, why don't we go from a retributive context, whose fault, who made a mistake, and why don't we instead create a context of ownership and gifts and possibility. Mm-hmm. And if there's a crisis on Wall Street, why don't we talk about what did I do to create that crisis? Well, and nobody wants to take responsibility for that, that's for sure. I will. And, we will. <laughs> well, then we're going to talk about this more when we come back right after this break. Talk about his money. Call us toll free, 866 472 5790, and talk to the experts. We talk talk money money all the time. time. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static, it evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the Journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the Journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Money, money, up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money, call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back, everybody. We're speaking with Peter Block this morning, author of Community, the Structure of Belonging, and um, another book you wrote, Peter, The Answer to How is Yes. Acting on What Matters. I just find this very interesting. I love that book, too. So before we went to break, we were talking about the context of community and the context that we are living in that we've created, you know, that problem-solving fear, retribution. And you proclaimed that you're going to stop getting interested in all the things that seem to be grabbing our attention these days. Know, the right. economic crisis, the... Um, well, 
I'm going to stop getting interested in leadership, celebrity, and Wall Street. It's, it's something that defines my life. Now, the, the economic crisis I am interested in because I'm interested in how I created it. Well, talk about what that means. Well, uh, you know, if I say, well, how do I deal with this crisis? Well, it's got nothing to do with stocks and bonds and your, whoever's, any of us, our financial situation is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I can say, well, uh, maybe the crisis isn't on Wall Street. Maybe the crisis is in the way I'm relating to money. And maybe it's the way that I'm living my life. Maybe it's the consumer life. Maybe I'm buying things that I could produce and create for myself. Maybe I don't need the services that have put such a strain on my budget. Hmm. And and I think this is, you know, for anybody running a business or working with people running a business, this is what it means to say, how do we create a culture of accountability? Hmm. So no matter what happens in the world, the only powerful conversation I can have is, so what is my part in creating that and what choices do I have now? And then I'm not waiting to see what happens to Wall Street. I'm not waiting to see what's happened to her. You know, so it's a way of confronting the helplessness that most of us feel. Hmm. And so if you get the question right, so what have we done to help create this crisis, then I can do something about it. And I don't, now, have, to, I can I don't imagine, have to watch it on television. I can imagine people pushing back on that big time. I can imagine people saying, are you crazy? How can we not? It's everywhere. And, you know, it's nice, Peter, that you want us to talk about all these airy-fairy things, but uh-huh. we are in the middle of a crisis and we have to take action and I have to be informed. Yeah, exactly. So what action are you taking? Let's role play it out. <laughs> okay, are you in the, in the Treasury Department? Are you the president or head of all? No, most of us aren't. So what action are you going to take? Sit there and get nervous? You want to buy, you want to sell when, when the stocks are at all-time low. You know, I mean, that's one thing. Why don't we, why is it so, you know, that's, that I do get accused of being airy-fairy, idealistic, impractical. And that just tells me that I'm being understood. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But I'm, I'm being ultra-practical. So what can we really do? My watching, my complaining, my whining, my nervousness mm-hmm. about what's happening with stock prices, and th- I should thank God that I have a share. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got real problems if I need more credit. Got it. But uh, my talk looking at, you know, to me, it isn't very powerful. It's just mm-hmm. interesting. What's powerful is me to kind of say so. What have I got going for me right now? What is our business core purpose? What do we have to do to survive this thing? Mm-hmm. And and what can we learn from what's happened? And, and uh, as citizens, one thing we can learn is that the consumer society isn't going to work very much longer. So uh, what will we right? become? I don't know. We'll become a producer society. Maybe all the stuff that I thought was airy-fairy, bark-biting, commie-pinko-liberal, has some body to it. Maybe I should look at every dollar I spend as a political act and decide what I want to support, mm. which for me means I'm not going to shop at a big box store and send that money out of my community. If I if I if it's cheaper there and I don't want to spend more for it, then don't buy it. Mm. And don't be seduced by loss leader attractions that get us to, to Walmart and Home Depot because mm-hmm. once we get there we buy things we don't need. Right, right, right. If I'm going to have lunch 
why don't I have lunch at the at the at a at a place that's a not for profit place and put that money to work there instead of going to a chain restaurant? Why don't I not support chain businesses? So mm-hmm. economics, you become local. You say, well, what are the things I really need for me and my those around me to? And if you're poor, why don't you get smart about money? Mm-hmm. Poor people live within a huge economy, and, and this is me getting kind of harsh. But get smart. Stop paying more for everything you buy. And and uh, I think it's a, it's writing our relationship with money that what this crisis is kind of telling us. Mm. And and it's true for a business also that the people need to you know say well, well let's talk about ourselves as creators of the world instead of responders of the world. This sounds like a sermon. <laughs> well, I know I, I think it's interesting. It's it's. Um, Stretching what I imagine most people are thinking, stretching them yeah. beyond their typical thought patterns, and certainly thought patterns of the moment. Um, yeah. You know, I as I hear you say, you know, support the local businesses and, and make choices with your money, um, and yet exactly the opposite has been happening in some uh-huh. ways. Um, people say, well, now I have to shop at Walmart because things are cheaper. This is what I've been hearing. They're stupid. <laughs> They're not cheaper. you got to get in your car. You can't walk to Walmart. Mm-hmm. There's not a sidewalk in the world that walks to Walmart. Mm-hmm. So you get in your car, you're buying gas, you're, you're using, you know, depreciating your car. Mm-hmm. When you go there, you're buying more than you really need. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the total price savings that you're, you're doing, you're saving, you know, maybe 8 or 9%. And, and what you're doing is you're sending the income, well-being, producing capacity, that dollar, you're sending it to Fayetteville, Arkansas. And that's what, that's what, it's just not, it makes no sense to go to Walmart. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense, C-E-N-T-S. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just look at, the, at what Walmart wants you to notice, which is you can get a jar of pickles for under $3, you know, and so why don't I stop being uh, believing Walmart's story about itself, hmm. and and and, uh, and I mean that's what it's required. So we have to make up our own new story. Exactly. Why don't we decide what story we want to live? And money is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And 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 look at the real cost of the way we're living now. Mm-hmm. The real cost of the way we're living now. Walmart's going to be shut down in five years, and they're going to move somewhere else, and we're going to be stuck with that property on our, you know. So you, you think you, you think so? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. They move pretty often because they're yeah. looking for bigger regions, and they they've got to keep opening new, new. And you know, it's, and it's not about any. It's not Walmart is evil or wrong. Right. It's right. We are not smart about what it really would where our interests really lie. And our interests lie in building a neighborhood, a local economy, a community, a place where your kids can get jobs. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, the other piece that I'm noticing about this conversation is um, I don't hear you say money is evil, which a lot of times when you start talking about, you know, how the whole issue of the economy, um, sometimes it drifts toward that, Sentiment: Money is evil, and people who have money, yeah, you know, have, people who have money are evil, no. and 
And um, you're not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. Money is is a, is a, it's a it's a useful tool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right up there with the telephone and the and uh, and and we just out of right relationship with money is my deep belief. And I don't even understand it altogether. I just notice working in community, so many people think if they had more money, their lives would change. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if they had, if they, uh, it, it's, it's, we're out of whack with it. Yeah, much too, it's yeah. much too central to our conversation. Yeah. So let's talk about the types of community. You talk, you say there are different types of community that we can mm-hmm. create. What are they? Well, community, the way I'm, I like it, is, is one that's place bound. You know, community gets used for everything. A mm-hmm. community of practice, a global community. The community that has the most power is one that we can touch where the senses are relevant. Hmm. We can see something, smell something, feel something, know something. Hmm. So you're talking about how do we bring back into modern life. Modernism you know, has kind of fractured us. It's fragmented us. It's isolated me. I can live in the suburbs. I can live in a place. I can live in my backyard and my air condition. All of, so street life has gone way down, mm-hmm. and if I want to feel connected to the world, then I, then you start saying, well, how do I restore the experience of community in the place where I work and the place where I live? Mm-hmm. Even businesses have gotten very siloed and deeply specialized. Mm-hmm. You go to a doctor now; you got to make five stops before you find somebody who specializes in what's ailing you. So in some ways we need to de-specialize ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the book is saying, well, what is, how can we come together into conversations? Because all transformation is about language and how we speak of ourselves. I am the way I speak of myself. That may be all that I am. Mm. And, and if, 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 if who I am is the story I'm producing about myself, that's wonderful news. Because it means I can change it any time I want, mm-hmm. and uh, and without community, without us being connected in some way, uh, no transformation is possible. And so, community becomes kind of a means towards something shifting in our our way of doing business. Even most businesses are fragmented. Strong. We've known for years that powerful businesses are ones where there are powerful teams, powerful social fabric powerful sense of connection mm-hmm. and and we and uh, that awareness is kind of taken for granted almost now well but do you think that that applies to the large corporate structure as well absolutely it's a, a large corporation is like a city so if i want to make a difference in cincinnati we got 52 neighborhoods here neighborhoods about all i can get my arms around i can't get my arms around hundreds of thousands of people and the business is the same way you're trying to create a series of interconnected pockets, but each pocket can create the kind of power and world and productivity that it chooses to create, mm-hmm. especially for large businesses. And, and the smart, large businesses are quite decentralized. They're not into standardizing everything across the board. That's usually a sign that the business is in real trouble when they say we need to standardize and make consistent our human resource practices you know, our operating practices. It's like certain trees 
the year before they die, they really bloom. Oh, that's really true, isn't it? Well, this is an interesting piece that I want to get more into when we come right back after this message. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Stocks, bonds, 401ks, investments, refinancing. We can help you. Call now toll free 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back, everybody. We're speaking with Peter Block this morning, author of Community, The Structure of Belonging. And, Peter, in speaking about the types of community... Um, you mentioned restorative community and that we actually create the community and, and that you're in favor of local so that people can touch, feel, et cetera, and right. get to know each other. Um, you know, I, you touched a few minutes ago on the idea of being poor, and I'm thinking about poor communities and how is it that a poor community, um, I mean, if we are what we think, you know, how do you how do you actually apply that to the concept of a poor community? Let's, let's, I mean, uh, what does it mean to be poor? Poor in what? See, you know, most people say we don't have money, we don't have jobs, we have disinvested houses, we have uh, low income houses, and too many. To be poor is to, is to, is to, these communities don't have a sense of connectedness to each other, and they live without a sense of real possibility. They're so labeled 
by their deficiencies that they begin to think it's true, permanent, and inevitable unless someone comes in and saves us, either a developer, a gentrifier, uh, the government. So what you're really saying is when people feel uh, deficient or poor, you have to confront them with one is are they allowing themselves to, to be more isolated than is useful. And the other is that, well, they're really living without a possibility. Because if you don't have money, uh, people deal with that. They still survive. I, you know, I I grew up without money, but you survive. The thing was, I grew up with the notion that maybe there was a future for me, hmm. and so I didn't call myself poor. I was just broke. <laughs> and, and 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 the same with the business. If the business having economic hard times, people always use the excuse, "Well, we don't have the money, or we don't have the time." That's not true. It just means what you're facing isn't that important to you. It's not that you don't have the money. I love the image I heard years ago of a guy on his way to his wedding, and he's an hour late. And you say, could we talk? He says, are you kidding? I don't have any time. I'm, a, I'm an hour late for my, my own wedding. I'm in trouble. And then he gets a flat tire on the highway. <laughs> what does he do? Duh. Gets out of the car, fixes the tire. But I thought you didn't have time for anything else. So... <laughs> So you have time for everything that matters. And the same thing with money. You know, if you can't afford something, then you, or you just got to face up to the economic reality of, of what you have or don't have. You need to get rid of some stuff. You get rid of the stuff. But you also get realized that the real issue is, so what's the possibility that we can create together? Mm. What can we do together that we can't do alone? And and that's the way out of poverty. It's a it's a, it's a poverty of a, of the future. It's not just about because giving poor people money, they don't stop being poor. Now, I'm not arguing. I'm not blaming the poor. It's our labeling them poor that keeps them mm. in trouble because mm. they buy that label. You know, my work in the city and our work is to focus on the gifts of people regardless of their income level. And so if you see youth on the street engaged in activities that are illegal, you say, well, instead of those are problem youth, why don't we say, what are the gifts of those young people? And how can we bring them into the center? Mm. Or you go through neighborhoods that seem like, oh, make you uneasy, you say, well, what are the assets and gifts and strengths of this neighborhood? Mm-hmm. And why don't we show up there and start having that conversation? Mm-hmm. And and it's that that's the, that shift in context or shift in conversations from deficiencies to gifts, problems to possibilities, victim to owner, that creates a condition where a different future can, can occur. Well, there certainly are a lot of organizations large and small right now, who are looking at what they think is going to be a bleak future, and there is no sense of feeling empowered to do anything. Right. And for the last, you know, what, what, 10, 15 years, organizations have been looking at 
um, in order to succeed, in order to be most profitable, we have to standardize our systems. We do have to do things across the board the same way. Um, That happens a lot, of course, when organizations are pulling back and retrenching and cutting expenses, and that for sure happens then. But it happens even in organizations that are growing and thriving. Um, Consultants and coaches have been working toward this for years, helping organizations become more standardized in their practices. Um, So... This is pretty widely accepted and and seen as successful, and what I'm hearing you say is, stop it. Uh, Customers, you know, there's certain aspects. I mean, the product quality has to be consistent, but the way we come together, the way we work together, the way we manage ourselves has got to be space for uniqueness. Customers also want a unique response. They want to feel connected to the place they're buying. And the consistency is just our love of control. And the more scared we get, the more controlling we become. But there's no evidence that high-control organizations are more productive or successful in serving customers. Uh, a lot of what they are, they just can operate uh, more with you know, lower costs. Mm. But if, if the essence of a business is to serve a customer in a unique way or a unique set of, of products, uh, cost control and consistency doesn't produce that. Mm. And sometimes they hasten the trouble that they're in, it, but it becomes an ideological stance. Mm. People love consistency, control, and predictability because they love consistency and control and predictability. There is no evidence or research that supports that high predictable control and consistent businesses are more profitable or serve their customers better. In fact, it's just the opposite. Interesting. Team-oriented, group-oriented, local choice is is what saved Ford. It's what saved Harley-Davidson. It's what Mm -hmm. saved companies in the 80s and 90s when they were in real trouble. And Mm -hmm. once they got rich again, they they go back to the ideological stance, which is, you know, I now hear this. This is the captain speaking. That is all. Right. You know, and, and what I'm hearing you say is that there are ways to tap the um, inner joy or to tap the inspiration in people, which has been deadened inside organizations for many years. Um, You know, this whole, quote-unquote, crisis of what's it all about um, in my life that a lot of people go through periodically um, is work all there is kind of a thing. Um, is because they're not being used in a way that matters to them. And so how can organizations change this? I mean, how can coaches and consultants help that change happen? Well, I I like the idea of change your thinking, change your life. Mm. So the first question is whether people really want the future to be any different than the past. And if they don't, if all they want the future is to be a little better, then there's coaches, and not much coaches can do other than just be a great friend, mm. which is no small thing. Mm. But the but, uh, the shift is to focus on people's gifts and capacities, to give people choice. Harley Davidson is a great example. They're three months from bankruptcy. Mm. That's a financial crisis. Mm-hmm. 
and Rich Tierlink was the financial officer, and they and he started running the, the you know ran the company, and they had to lay off forty percent. The reality was they laid off forty percent of their people, but then he gave more and more and more choice to people closer and closer to people making a motorcycle and selling a motorcycle, and that business uh, is one of the strongest brands in the world right now. And so instead of tightening his controls, he pushed control close to the product, close to the margin. Mm-hmm. And you have story after story like that. But it, it's, it's counter-cultural. It's counter-intuitive. Right. And, and especially in time when things are so uncertain. The command and control, I'm, I'm seeing that happen a lot, especially in the large financial organizations right now. Um, command and control is king. And people are doing a lot of busy work because the work that they've been hired to do over the last few years isn't happening. And so nobody is being productive and nobody is feeling satisfied or safe or that they're relevant. It's just it's a sad state of our society. Uh, it's, 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 I think what's happened is it's, it's been laid bare, but it's been that way for a long time. People have been afraid of their bosses for years now, afraid to go on vacations. Why would they work the hours? Why would I work the hours I work and make my bed a desk Mm. and my dining room table a communication center for work Mm. unless I was anxious? Mm. I mean, we've given away the 40-hour work week, at least the professional class and the white-colored. Right, right. And, and I think it's it's a little bit like New Orleans. It took the hurricane to lay bare the poverty and the vulnerability of that city. Hmm. And I think this is like a financial hurricane that makes visible. Money hides a lot of sins. Hmm. And if you're really wealthy, you don't have to face up to family dynamics. You don't have to deal with the fact that my life may not be what I, what I had in mind. And so money becomes a kind of a, a drug... And, and I think we've been in such a period of the sun rising that it blinds you to mm. the, the vulnerability that's been there for a while. And mm. if people are in a job and they don't have real work to do, they got to deal with that. Mm-hmm. They can't wait for someone to come along and get them real work. Why don't they say, wow, there must be real work somewhere on this floor. Let me go find it. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, whether or not leadership says this is what you should be doing. I know. What yeah. they have in mind for us isn't going great. This is right. what I mean about stop looking to leadership for tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow's not going to come from leadership. Right. Leadership's too busy looking, you know, doing whatever they're doing. Mm. They're not the problem, but they're not the solution either. Right, right, right. So it sounds in a way that um, this gets back to that, Personal accountability, chosen accountability. What yeah, do I choose exactly. to be accountable for? Right. Yeah. Go we cut get, the grass. Go cut the grass. <laughs> they yeah, somebody. Look, we've been paying people to cut the grass. I'm not doing anything. I got a lawnmower. You mind if I cut the grass? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. There's lots of good work to be done. There you go. We'll be right back after this message. talk about his money call us toll free 866-472-5790 and talk to the experts we talk money all the time voice america business 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back. This is our final segment with Peter Block this morning, author of Community, the Structure of Belonging. So, Peter, the, the uh, title of this show, To Create the Future, Change the Conversation, and you're saying that's exactly what we have to do. Talk about the types of conversations we can be having. You've named a few of them. Talk, talk oh. about those. Well, it's, it, you say, uh, if I want to deal differently with what the world is handing me, then I have to have a conversation different than the one I've been having. And some of these conversations are with myself. Mm. Uh, my story. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm. And so it's not any new conversation. It's those conversations that deepen my sense of connection with others, mm. and 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 oh, and show up as an owner or creator of the future. So one is a conversation of possibilities. You can and and all these conversations are organized around questions. The questions are what matter. That's the intervention. And, and questions then keep us from selling things or knowing what's best for others. So a question could be, what's the crossroads you're at at this stage of your life? Or whatever. if the marketplace is, is uh, frightening you, you say, well, what a, what's that mean in terms of my own sense of purpose? But the crossroads is a great question that leads into a conversation of possibility. What's the possibility that I can live into, that, that I bring into the room every time I show up? So that's just another kind of conversation is ownership. Instead of blaming or woe is me or saying who did this to us, you say what have I done to contribute to the financial crisis of, the, of this uh, world, culture, Wall Street? And then, So what's my relationship with money? What's my contribution to the vulnerability I'm feeling financially right now? Or as a business, why not have a business owner or middle manager get people together and say, what do we help? What is our contribution 
to the fix that we're in right now because then that gives me a path to do something. Then I can do something under my control. Another is with the gifts we're not fully utilizing in this system, in this world, in this life. So the gift conversation or questions are powerful. Uh, another one is, is uh, what's the promise I'm willing to make with no expectation of return? Maybe the world is the way it is or my business is the way it is because I haven't fully committed myself. I've been engaged in a deal. I'll do this much if you'll do that much. Well, that's not commitment. So there's a commitment conversation. There's also a dissent conversation. Half the things we do at work, we don't even don't even make sense to us. Right. So suppose we create a space to ask people, what are you doing now that makes no sense to you? Create space for dissent. What are we question. doing now? You know, what? It's a great question. It is a great question. What is yeah. the no you've been postponing? What have you said yes to in the last month you no longer mean? Yeah. Oh, I can't do that. If you stand up around here, you get shot. I know. I know. So you got to be willing to take some hits. You do. Well, you're not going to get hit. That's the the myth and the romance of corporate life, that if you stand up, you get shot. You don't get shot for standing up. You You get shot either for disappearing or from being angry. So stand up, not in anger, but stand up. I say, look, this makes no sense to me. Can we talk? No is the beginning of a conversation. And uh, and it's my timidity in finding my voice. It's not that the world or management is going to take it out on me. If they're going to take it out on you for standing up and saying this makes no sense to me, they're going to take it out on you anyway. Hmm. So you want to find out now or later. You know, maybe I'm not my boss's favorite. Hello. <laughs> so, so I'm not that thrilled about them either. You know, stop treating bosses as if they're our parents. They just, they're, they're, anyway, that's the. Yeah, they're trying to get through it just like everybody else is. Well, yeah, they're worried about their bosses. We're not even in their field of vision. Right, 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 right. Fascinating. So, you know, it's sounding to me like what we need to do is, number one, as you say, be willing to stand up. Right. Um, Be willing to say no. Um, no has typically in corporate life been a conversation stopper. You know, exactly. The answer is no, so we don't even continue the conversation. Well, they can't even say it. People don't even say no. They say, I'll try. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the other thing is we can't do any of these conversations on our own. When people talk about bosses that are difficult, I always ask them, so why are you creating the boss in that fashion? If you and your peers got together and decided what made sense for this unit, your boss isn't going to stop you, Mm. not when you're together. Mm. And your boss doesn't want to stop you. Your boss wants this place to work. So all the whining or complaining about you don't understand my boss, that sentence in itself is an obstacle to anything changing. Right. So we need to get connected to each other. That's the point. And and I'd like to also apply that to CEOs and boards of directors, you know, because there's not a whole lot of that going on there either. No, that's why they call them, that's why they call them boards because they're bored when they get together. <laughs> and it, 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 and uh, there is no top. That's a nice thing. Mm. What do you Everybody's mean worried about what someone else is thinking. And, oh. Uh, they're doing the best they can. It's like being a parent. Nobody knows anything about parenting. You just do the best you can, and prayer is useful. Mm, interesting. 
interesting. Or meditation, maybe. So, in essence, we have to create, as you say in your book, an invitation in some way for the conversation to happen. And not wait for somebody else to create the invitation for the conversation to happen. Exactly. Waiting is a disaster, even though the longing for safety runs deep. Yeah. I don't doubt the difficulty, but why not go to some peers and say, why don't we get together and have a conversation about what we want to create here and stop looking and wondering and being nervous about what somebody else has in mind for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've seen people in organizations who do that. I've seen people over the years who have done that, and they are most happy in their job more than other people that I see. Yeah, and yeah. And, and, and most people, GE years ago, did research that said the happiest people in their jobs are ones that have given up their ambition. Oh, interesting. And the most productive ones are the same way because instead of worrying about what my boss thinks or whether this fits in with the mission, vision, value statement, they say, I'm going to do what makes sense and if if I pay a price for that, well, so be it. And usually they are enormously valued to people. Mm. So there's a shift in, in in thought there. So here we go. We're needing to take responsibility, have accountability, Look to community and not wait for it to be created, but create community wherever we are. Yeah. And do it in a way that, you know, maybe outside our comfort zone. And, um, you know, it's, as you said, easier said than done, but um, needed. It's too simple in a way. That's the weakness of what I'm talking about. And it also means that the social fabric we create is so decisive. That's the thing that uh, institutional life forgets. And and so coaches become uh, community organizers in a sense. Hmm. Convening community, huh? Yeah, that's what coaches really uh, contribute a lot is to help their clients be more uh, an initiation for creating a social fabric or sense of community. even coming together when you don't know why you're coming together. Right, right. And don't leave the meeting with a list. The pressure of leaving a meeting with a list makes real conversation almost impossible. Fascinating. This is a complete revolution, revolutionary <laughs> idea. Well, you know, I mean, if you think about what's been going on in organizations for the last 20 years, this is revolutionary thinking. And there's more about this that... Um, I would love to talk to you about. We're coming to the end of our show. And um, what I'd like to do, Peter, is invite you back in a few months, you know, after things have shifted a bit in our world and um, kind of see how things are going. It would be fun to continue this conversation. I would love it, Cheryl. You're delightful. Wonderful. So um, tell people how they can reach you or learn more about your work. Well, they can can email me at pbi at att.net. Okay. So I would love that. Now the website is designed learning, designed D-E-S-I-G-N-E-D, learning.com. Great. Peter Block, it's been a privilege to have you here today. Remember, everybody, to think big because the world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito.
Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot 